0: taken over for me. So Today I want to continue our series on Songs of Summer, and we're going to go into uh, Psalm 19, if you want to open with your Bible, uh, Bible to that, and keep your Bible open. But C.S. Lewis wrote about this psalm, he says, I take this to be the greatest poem in, in the Psalter, or the Psalms, and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. Aren't you glad you came today? You picked the day to come when it was the greatest psalm. We're talking about the Psalms, and we're talking about what C.S. Lewis says is the greatest one. And as I was reading through the Psalms, trying to pick out uh, ones to preach on, this one really did stick out to me as just how it can really speak to us and speak to us about who God is and how we are supposed to be. So let's look at Psalm uh, chapter 19. To the choir master, a Psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. In keeping them, is, there is great reward. Who can discern his he- errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Now I'm going to speak on this chapter this week, but I can tell you, you could meditate and just dig into this all week long. There's so much in here as you go through there about what, who God is, what He wants to do for us, what it means to be a follower of God, who He represents Himself to be. This is the goodness of God on display. And so what I want to talk today about is the, the wonder, the glory of God in creation and Scripture. And first of all, I want to start out with the beginning here where David starts out in nature reveals... The knowledge and praises God. Nature reveals. Now, we live in an area where we see nature. We live in an area where we have our glorious lakes and trees and things like that. We see the glory of God in nature. We see the power of God every day. Now, he emphasizes the heavens and the sky here. And he talks about both day and night. One of the things that um, is fascinating, if you ever bring anybody here that's from a city, you bring them to northern Minnesota, the first thing they say is, hey, look, stars. Okay? Because when you're in the city, and I remember this when I went to North Central and we were in downtown Minneapolis and worked at Teen Challenge, you couldn't see any stars. You couldn't see, I mean, you, every once in a while you might see something, but it was all because of the light pollution. We see the sky. We see the vastness. We see the fact that it's huge. We see the fact that it goes, it seems to go on forever. And what it is, it, it's beyond our comprehension. When we look at nature we should think to ourselves, this is amazing. Because it is. But it all points to the fact of the Creator. It all points to God. God created everything for us, but He also created everything to point to the fact that He is there and He is is proclaiming Himself through nature. What's really fascinating about this is the whole reason that we have science today. Now for our university students or high school students or other people, when you go to uh, a lot of universities, they will say there's faith on this end and science on this end. And they don't like each other. And don't bring your faith into a science class. Well, I would say talk to Isaac Newton about that. Because the whole enlightenment, the whole concept that we have of science, all came from the fact, That people looked into the heavens and said we serve a great and glorious God and we serve a God that is a God of order, so there must be a reason to study this. All the great scientists that started the whole scientific revolution were Christians who said, look at what God has done, let's study it. This is not opposite. This is saying, yes, we study it because we know God did it. And in fact, Isaac Newton put it this way. He says, when I wrote my treatise about our system... I had an eye upon such principles as might work with considering men for their belief of deity. And nothing can rejoice me more than to find it useful for that purpose. In other words, in everything Isaac Newton does, and if you take a physics class, he will study Isaac Newton, and he is saying it points to the fact that there's a God. And it delights me when I teach science and it points to God. This is what it is. This is the truth. Cre- creation says... This is beyond us. The universe is beyond us. The universe is so massive. That if you really get down to science, what it really comes down to is a lot of, here's what we think. Here's our best grasp at it. But it's so much beyond what we can handle. It's so, we discover something new all the time. We discover something that we didn't know. And it becomes even more and more complicated, more rich. That's because it's become from a God who is infinite. Infinite. We see it in nature every day. We see it in our study. Science claims that they have found the answers to the beginning of the universe. And Dallas Willard, if you've never heard of Dallas Willard, he's a, he was a professor of philosophy at the University of Southern California. So he's not just some, you know, lightweight. He served there from 1965 until his death in 2013, was the head of the department. And he has a, tr- he has some, a solution in case you're going back to school and you have a science professor this is from a man with a Ph.D. at the University of Southern California. He says, how do we respond to scientists like this? He says, just keep asking questions. You respond to those people by saying, would you kindly show me in your peer-reviewed journal or professionally vetted textbook that shows how the universe came into being? Where is it? That is where you have to help people begin to think seriously. In other words, he says, just ask them to show you the textbook that says this, how everything came into being. Well, there isn't one. Because we don't know. Because it's God. It's beyond us. As we study nature, the people that study nature, the people that look into it, are are to be drawn to God. That's why he created the world the way he is. Verse 3 puts it, There is no speech, nor there are words whose voice is not heard. This is a poetic thing. In other words, there's no speech, and there's no voice, but everybody hears it. And you say, okay, no speech, no voice. So it's the inaudible voice. It's this concept of nature cries out. When you're sitting on a lake and you hear the loons and you see the sun setting and you see the glory of creation, you see the fact that God is in it. It's it's calling to us and saying God is saying to us, "I am here. I made this." And you know what also shows that he loves us. He loved us enough to create it. He created a place for us that's beautiful. He created a place for us with with a lot of wonderful things in it. Um, and we have this because of his greatness. Only perceptible to those who look. You know, it's important to understand that all of creation, everything is pointing to the fact that God is here. Everything is pointing, but we have to look for it. We can close our eyes and say, there's nothing great about creation, there's nothing great. It means you're not looking. It means you're not understanding. And, and it's, it's so amazing. Why do you think there's so much... A study of, of nature and creation is because there's so much more to learn every day. There's so much more wonder to understand. Whether the fact that even, to see the fact that to come into our church and see a tree that was blown down by a hundred mile an hour wind, and have the roots popped up, and to say that's power. That was God. I mean that's power. I mean we couldn't have done it with all of us pushing on it, but God, that's the power that God has. The power that he has to make a tree, the power that he has in storms the power he has in everything he has control of all of it and all of it should point to him we should not worship creation we should worship the creator when we look at it and you know what happens we were created to worship the reason that sometimes people worship creation and I've heard from friends they say yeah I, I appreciate God I go out into the world and I go hunting every week and I appreciate God in my deer stand or I appreciate God when I'm on the lake well I do too But that's not enough. It's not enough just to worship God. We have to understand that we are created in the image of God. We're not supposed to worship His creation. We're supposed to worship Him. And there's something in us that is drawing us to Him. There was an article in the Washington Post that is titled, I'm an atheist, so why can't I shake God? And it suggests that it's hard to believe in nothing when your psyche is wired for faith. The author Elizabeth King tells us how she abandoned her childhood Christian faith for atheism. She says, until my mid-teens, I was a born-again Christian who loved God with all her heart. These days, though, I'm an atheist with nothing to prove. She says, the story of my departure from the church resembles those of many others who have abandoned the flock. When I was about 16, I started asking questions during services that my youth pastors couldn't or didn't want to answer. Why is it a sin to be gay? Why is it okay to spank children? Where does the Bible say we can't have premarital sex? Still, in spite of her atheism, King states, something. somehow God has found a way to stick around in my mind. She thinks that God's lingering presence could be attributed to the inner workings of the human mind, against which the atheist battles hard. She claims, if I could banish this figure from my psyche, I would. In the end, she has to admit, I have no choice but to accept that I'm an atheist with a sense of God. We're created... To know God we're created and we can fight it we can say I'm an atheist but God's still there because we weren't created to be uh, to be opposite of God we weren't created to not be in communion with him what would happen at the Garden of Eden was the fact that we were separated from God I think about those first stories of creation where Jesus came and walked with Adam and Eve could you imagine having a nightly walk God how's it going well I'm doing pretty well how about you just having that communion, and that's the way it was supposed to be. We were created for God, we were created by him. and it's important that we understand that we were, that we were created for a purpose and created for him. And all of creation, all of creation points to God. Now David moves on, and he moves on in verse seven to talk about the law of the Lord or the scriptures. He says not only do we have creation, creation should draw us to say there must be something more than this. There must be something. We see that God created this, but you know what? It doesn't have a signature on it. We don't know who it is. So God gave us scripture to tell us more about him. He said you can see from creation. In fact, in Romans 1, it says that nobody has an excuse because of creation. When you get up to heaven and say, I never believed there was a God. He said, did you look around? Did you look and see what I created? Did you look and see how glorious this world is? How the fact of the wonders, wonders of this world, you need to understand that I am the creator and I put those there so you would look to me. But it's not enough just to worship or to look at creation. We have to look towards God. The key phrase is in the end of verse 6 when, it was ta- when it's talking about the sun and it says there's nothing, nothing hidden from its heat. I think I just said nothing. I must have been in the South too long. I'm just saying. Um, but nothing, in, <laughs> I just said it again. Nothing is hidden from its heat. In other words, we have this concept that there's nothing outside of God. There's nothing outside of the Scripture. There's nothing outside of His creation. There's nothing hidden from the sun. There's nothing outside of the Bible. It moves from the glory of God in creation to His perfection in His world, in His word. God made the world out of his love for us. Do you realize that God didn't need to create anything? God didn't sit up in heaven and say, I'm really lonely, I need to create people. God was in perfection. God was in community in the Trinity. He had perfect love amongst the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But do you know why he created us? Out of overabundance of love. And the overabundance of love wanted to love someone else, so he created us to love us. That's a glorious truth. We are created out of the love of God and his love for us. That's why he created things for us. That's why he created things that we can enjoy. That's why he created all everything that we see is out of his love for us. And he uses terms in, verse, in the next verses like perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true. Each one of these is related what it does who follow the people of God. You know, when people look at the Bible... Again, I talked about science and creation. And now when I talk about the Bible, if you say, I read the Bible, what is the first reaction most of the time we get? Well, I don't want to read the Bible. It it tells me I can't do things. It tells me I can't have any fun. Basically, it's those who read the Bible and those who have a good time. That's the dichotomy that you'll hear from people. Because like that lady from the Atheist who says, why can't I be this? Why can't I have premarital sex? Why can't I do this? Why can't I have the fun that I want to have? You know, God created us to enjoy life. God created us for joy. God created us for happiness. He didn't tell us in the Bible to do and not to do certain things so we wouldn't have a glorious life. He said it so we would have the best life. And it's such a lie when people will tell us this, though. If you follow Christ, you have to have that kind of permanent frown on your face. Okay? And let's be honest, we've done it a little bit, oh, I'd rather be out there having fun, but glory to God, I'm a Christian. I've heard testimonies like that, you know? That's not the way it is. It's glory to God, I'm having, I'm enjoying life to the fullest because I am a Christian. God loves me. God cares for me. God wants to see my best. God is not there looking to restrict me. He's not there trying to take the good stuff away He's trying to preserve the good stuff so we have it. He's trying to give us what we need. If you look at these things, you start with verse 7, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Most people in the morning, they say, I need a cup of coffee to revive my soul, or I need something. Here it says, I need the word of God to revive me. I'm feeling down. The law is perfect. It lifts up discouraged people. It gives hope for our soul. It says there's a God who loves us. There's a God who cares for us. There's a God who has a plan for us and will never leave us or forsake us. That's your revival in the morning. That's the lifting of your soul that you need. It says the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Without it, we'd run into all kinds of problems. You just don't know what's going to happen when you leave this room. You don't happen what's gonna, know what's going to happen tomorrow, but God does. He has the owner's manual for wisdom. If you follow his path, you will avoid trouble. You will avoid pain. You will avoid things that you were never supposed to endure. Because this world itself has enough trouble and pain in it. There's going to be trouble and pain we have just because we live in a fallen world. God is saying, follow my plan of wisdom and avoid the things that you don't want to have. Like the Bible says, you know, in the Lord's Prayer, it says, "Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Basically, what we were asking of God is, show us in your word, show us by your spirit, how to stay away from evil. Keep us from things that are wrong for us. Keep us away from relationships that are wrong, from attitudes that are wrong, from pe- that everything that's in our life that is wrong. Keep us away from it. Keep us on the wise path. And you say, I don't know the wise path. God does, and He reveals it in His Word. And when we live by that, we know that we can have wisdom. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Here's what I was talking about. God's Word is right, but it causes us to have rejoicing in our heart. And I've heard this too many times. People say, God is not interested in your happiness. I've heard pastors say that. That is not true. The word for rejoicing is not different than happiness. He wants you to have joy and joy. And happiness in your life. He wants you to follow his word, he wants you to follow his leading so that you can have true joy. This is not a grin and bear it. Okay? We we as Christians have been doing this for a while. You know, we're just gonna hold on till Jesus comes. Because this world stinks and there's nothing good in it. We can't have any fun and we can't do anything good, and this is just a terrible thing. No. God is saying I can, the Word of God brings joy to us. He says the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening their eyes. It reveals the truth and reality in this world that shows that God made everything and knows everything and gives the best. God has created everything. He enlightens us and says this is the way it's supposed to be. Now I created this, and here's how you use it. Okay? The Bible talks so much about money. It talks about money and it talks about the tongue. Now, money is not a bad thing, but it sure can get us into trouble. Okay? Let's be honest. Not having enough money or having too much money can get us into trouble. So the Bible says, I will give you the enlightenment to know what to do about it because I created money. The other thing that gets us into trouble is our tongue. The tongue can do wonderful things. You can go up to somebody who's having a lousy day And say something nice to them and lift their spirits. You can also go up to somebody and just crush them. You can talk behind their back. You can gossip. You can lie. You can just do horrible things. But the tongue has great power, but God created it. He's saying, I gave you this tongue to speak words of wisdom, to speak words of hope to people, and I'm going to give you the direction how to use it. You can use this And you can be the person that when somebody is down at work or somebody is down at school, they want to be around you because they know that your words bring hope and peace to people. Because you know what? Everybody here knows that there are people you don't want to be around because all they do is bring depression and meanness and uh, will put you down if they get a chance. But we Christians should be the people that you want to come to. Because we're the ones that have the words of hope and peace that we can give them. We have the hope of the world. Let's follow it in the Word of God. The, f- the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Now, this word just made me laugh. It's clean. Sounds like a, a fabric softener ad or a dishwasher detergent. The, the Bible is clean. Here, use it at home. It cleaned me up. You know, I, I don't know. Just think of it. Maybe that'll help. Okay? It's clean. And the word is pure, the fact that it doesn't have any faults in it. Okay, every theory, and I've talked about this so much, we just uh, bought a car. And if you buy a car, or if you buy anything, you go online, you say, I want to buy a Ford. Okay, you go on the internet. And you look up, is it good to buy a Ford? You have people that hate Fords, and people think that Fords were created by God on this eighth day. Okay that's what you have all right and but who do you trust where's the clean and pure there okay and all those people are a little biased just just a little like you know the guy works at joe's ford down the road he might be a little biased towards ford or the person that works at bob chevy down the other i mean he might be a little biased but the word of god is clean it doesn't have a bias you can actually trust it. You go to the Bible. You need your one opinion. You go to the Bible. The Bible. If you're saying, "Should I do this?" and the Bible says yes, don't look any further. Should I do this? And it says no, don't look any further. You have the real truth. Well, I need to check with my friends first. Your friends aren't smarter than God. I, you might want to write that down. Everybody, write that. Your friends are your brother, your sister. I got a cousin who says. You know what? They're not smarter than God. Look at creation. Did they create it? Did they put the trees? Did they put the stars up there? Did they put everything together? No, then listen to the one who did. It just just draws it out here. It endures forever. It's permanent, unchanging, carries us through everything. It will never change. Our opinions, our textbooks, everything that we have, we discover something new and it changes. We, I mean, for us who lived in the 70s, there is no greater sound than an 8-track tape. There will never be a greater sound than an 8-track tape. That changed, okay? Anybody, my, some of us still might be holding on to 8-track tape. I, let me tell you a little story that's kind of funny. Somebody in college stole my 8-track player and all of my 8-tracks. And my response to them was, why would you steal my 8-track player? It was uh, my 1980 Volkswagen Rabbit, I had some Christian gospel um, 8-tracks. This was already well past 8 track. Somebody smashed my window out, stole my 8-track player, and my Christian 8-tracks. Yeah, (laughs) they went home. I'm sure they went home and said, look, what on earth did I just do? Okay, this is a side story. But to this day, somebody in Minneapolis has my 8-track player. But never mind. Sorry, it just always gets to me. Okay, now draws the whole scripture. It says, The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. The rules of the Lord are true. You know what? When God says, Do this and don't do this, He's true. Don't sit there and say, But the world tells me, but I heard this, I heard this. Again, who created the heavens and the earth? Who created you? When God says that this is the way we're supposed to act towards, like I said, our tongue, or the fact that how we're acting towards money, or another big issue is sex, how we're supposed to act towards our sexuality. When God says that his rules are true and righteous altogether. It's righteous because it comes from a righteous God, and it's righteous for everybody. You know what the new thing that, to do when you talk to somebody? And you, they'll tell you, well, that's right for you, and this is right for me. No, the Bible is right for everybody. Because there's only one God, there's only one creator. He created all of heaven, he created all earth, he created us. We are his, and he is righteous altogether. So how good is it? How good is the word of God? It's better than gold. It's better than gold. All the gold in the world could not be traded for the glory that is God's word. He says it's better than uh, dripping honey. Now, for us, you may not think of that as the wonderful thing, but in this world, honey dripping from the honeycomb was a great and glorious thing. It is is the greatest thing that we can have. Moreover, by them, your servant is warned, In keeping them, there is great reward. Again, God does not put into his word, if you walk out with one thing, I want you to grab this. He does not write the word of God and give it to us so that we can have a miserable life or have a second-rate life. He does it so we can have the best life, the great reward that we can have from Him. Better than gold. If you had a choice between following God and all the gold in the world, follow God. It's that simple. You say, well, that doesn't seem like... It's, you're getting a bargain by following God. You're getting everything that you need. But you know what happens when we really fathom all of this stuff? Verse 12 and 13 pop up. Who can discern his heirs? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also for presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. You know what it causes us to do when we look at the Bible? And this is why I think a lot of people don't look at the Bible. It causes us to realize that we're sinful. People don't want to look at it because they think to themselves, we're not as good as that person. You watch the Olympics. What you realize is you're in really bad shape. Okay, maybe that was, I was the only one to realized that. I'm watching these guys going, oh, oh, I'm not even close. All right? They can run faster than I can. They can jump higher than I can. They can do all these things that I can't do. All right? You watch baseball. They're better than I am. And if you're worried about that, and we read the Bible, we realize that we're not all that. We haven't got it all together. But what David says here. you can help me find out where I have errors. You can help me find out, declare me innocent from my hidden faults. Search me, O God, David will say, and create a right heart in me. Forgive me for my sins. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. In other words, keep me back from sins that want to overwhelm me, from great transgressions. Keep me out of habitual sin. Because anybody who's ever struggled with an addiction or habitual sin will say, I wish I never would have started this. Am I right? For all of us, I always want to say, whenever you see somebody who's about 14, you want to sit them down and say, here's all the stupid things I did in high school. Don't do them. Anybody else want to do that, or is that just me? Okay. It's just like, and we want to, and all the habits that I fell into, all the bad things that I did, please keep me from them, God. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. In other words, if I follow after you, you will forgive me. But I have to realize that I'm not all that. I need to search you every day. It drives us to prayer. And as Jordan comes forward for a closing hymn, it, it says this in verse 14. Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You know what? I want to do... What God wants me to do. Every time I open my mouth, I want to make this commitment that he makes right here. Every time we open our mouth this week, this month, this year, the rest of our life, let it be the words of God to people. When people are around us, let them say something just happened because I was around that person. Because the words of my mouth come from God. Alright? Let us speak life. Let us not be the people who gossip. Let us not be the people that tear people down. Let us not be the people who lie. Let us be the people who bring life to people because that is the word of God. He is the one who wants to do great things. And the meditation of my heart, in other words, the word, what is inside me, let that be acceptable in your sight, O oh God. Let what I think about, what I contemplate, God. In other words, look inside me and overhaul everything that needs to be changed. It's worth it, God, because you have a perfect way. Because, O oh Lord, you are my rock and my redeemer. And that just simply means, as he closes here, he says, you're my rock. What is it about a rock? They're, they don't move. You get this big, huge rock. He says, you are firm as a rock. You are something that is a foundation. I can build upon You are strong. But not only that, you are my redeemer. And that word just simply means, when I fail, you're there to forgive me and to lift me up. I can trust in God. I can look out at his word and realize the fact that when we dig into his word, you're going to get to these verses where you're going to feel, wow, do I fall short. You know what God's there to say? I'm your rock and your redeemer. I'm there to hold on to you. I'm there to lift you up and to forgive you of your sins and call you righteous because I am your God. Why don't you stand with me right now? for our prayer ministers could come forward. You know, we don't want to close any service without an opportunity for you to know Christ. We don't ever want to also close any service without an opportunity for someone to pray with you. We, the front of our church is always available. If you want to continue to pray and linger, our musicians will stay up here and play. We want you to have an opportunity to pray and find God. If God has been speaking to you and saying, you know what, you need to spend a little time in prayer, this is the time to do it. If God is speaking to you and says, you need someone to pray with you, you come and talk to one of our prayer ministers. I'm going to talk to people here. If you have not made a commitment to Jesus Christ, if you have not made him the master of your life, if you have not turned yourself over to him and had your sins forgiven, now is the time to do that. Now is the time to call out to him. There is no time like today because today is the day of salvation. Just call out to him. Come and talk to one of our prayer ministers. They'll lead you through what it means to be a Christian. They'll lead you through what it means to be a follower of God. This is the time to do it. You don't want to go into this world without God. You don't want to go out with your f- sins not forgiven. This is the greatest offer you will ever get from God. We need to t- you need to take advantage of it today. But for everybody else that's here, let's just let God work in our lives. As we're singing this last song, let's just look at this and say, God search my heart. Is there any sin in me? And let me just dig closer and closer to you and let you be my rock and my redeemer. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Let's just make that our commitment today. Let's just call it to God. And the only way that's going to happen is we dig into his word and we let his spirit work in our lives. And let's just make that commitment today to do that.